termination upon receiving a diagnosis like this. We are not at all saying that you have to take the route that we took. We, I just want to be very clear. Like we know so many cases over the last seven years where each individual decision is just that. Mm -hmm. It's your personal decision and nobody has any right to infringe upon that decision that you make Mm -hmm. so because we opted not to terminate doesn't does not mean that it wasn't a regular thought in my mind for weeks i also think that there this might sound terrible to some listeners but i think there are some situations if you got all the facts it might be the right decision yes Because there are things, there are markers along the way where you can check for a dual diagnosis. You you know, maybe they have spina bifida and heart disease or Down syndrome or something where it's like, I'm not saying any of those are like definitely terminate if they have two diagnoses. I'm just saying like, as you add those things up and all the footprint of all the needs they're going to need throughout their life and the chances of them having a meaningful life, you might arrive at that decision and that's totally your decision to make as a family. Absolutely. It should never be anybody else's decision, but one's own. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about, uh, the times that we live in. Right. So, so our immediate reaction was get a second opinion. We have three options. We know what the options are. Um, but before we do any of those three, we need another doctor that's not going to tell us to abort the baby and, you know, it's going to be a vegetable at minimum. (laughs) So how do we, how do we even find that second opinion doctor? I I don't even remember. We, there was no doubt in my mind. Um, I reached out to Dr. Evans Mm. and I, she was devastated to hear she was this happened. Yeah, she was. I actually sent her an email. Uh, at this time I could not, I could not pick up the phone and talk to anybody. So many people called. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't even remember how the word got out, but maybe it was people were checking on us because they knew that we We, were, we kind of fell off the map for a couple of days. At least you did. Yeah. And so I, I mean, my, my closest friends and family called text and I, I I just couldn't bring myself to even. Yeah. We'd already told everyone about the pregnancy. So we couldn't hide it and it was a boy and we had done all these announcements. And so, um, some people even knew this date was on the calendar, so they could probably suspect that something was up. Yep. So I sent an email to, um, our fertility specialist and, uh, she got back to us right away. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in a nutshell, she said, you know, here are a couple of, um, of recommendations for you. One I've worked with and one I haven't, but I know that they have really great, 
uh, reviews and ratings. Mm-hmm. So we opted to go with the one that she she knew and had worked with. Um, also, not close to us, but and, and not covered by insurance. Not covered but at, by at insurance. At this point, it didn't matter to us. Uh-uh. <laughs> And so we did, We and they were able to get us in within days. Mm-hmm. And so we booked the appointment, we made the drive out, we went through the whole process again, but the difference this time was that this was a classy joint. We walk in, furniture, like every, it was just a, a totally different experience from the moment you walked in the doors. The ultrasound was like a video wall. It was insane, the technology that they had. And I was like, oh, this is what this is supposed to look like. You can see Maddox's heartbeat. You can see like, I mean, he was too little for fingers and toes, I think at that point, Mm -hmm. but you could see with clarity Mm -hmm. that this was a a fully formed baby. Yeah, and And you could see the spina bifida. I mean, you could mm -hmm. see the lesion. It was clear on his imaging. Um, you know, what was, what was going on in there? Yes. The difference here was that once, he, once he verified that he indeed had myelomeningocele, he turned off the screen. He went over and sat on the sofa that was in the room. I sat up on the table still crying because it doesn't get any easier and he sat down and he said what questions do you have for me take all the time you need Mm -hmm. and i'm over here like trying to gather myself while you just went right at it once again i was just beyond impressed with your composure and the fact your ability to just be like okay we're getting down to this. Yeah. This is my baby, and I'm going to learn everything I can about this, and we're going to make the most educated next decision that we can make. Yeah. And he wasn't super knowledgeable about the fetal surgery. He'd heard of it, but he wasn't, like, dialed into how that works and if it's successful. At this point, we had watched videos on it, and, of course, the sales pitch on it is miraculous. Like, you go get fetal surgery, and your kid's going to walk and run and do oh, all these yeah. things. It's like we're we're... we're completely you know healing these these babies out here at ucsf which um you know the stats are the stats and we can get into that another time but um the this guy gave us advice that i've given people over the years because it was so good and it was so spot on he said you have a diagnosis in front of you you've been advised to terminate this pregnancy by a doctor like i appreciate that that happened to you um But here's the thing about parenting, like you can have a completely healthy son or daughter and at any point they could get, get bone marrow cancer. They could die tragically in an accident. Like you never know what's going to happen in life. And that, that doesn't mean that you have to automatically terminate this pregnancy because there's something wrong now. Your because, kid gets in a car accident at mm-hmm. 10 years old and has to amputate their legs. Yeah. Then what? What are, what are your expectations going to be for that child then versus now? Um, so, and, and I kind of asked them for advice that they really can't give. I was like, what would you do if this was your firstborn child? And, you know, he, he basically just said, you know, I can't advise you on whether or not to terminate the pregnancy or to do fetal surgery or anything. Like I'm not, I'm not in a good position to do that, but I I think you should give it a chance. I think you, I think this child can have a great life. Deserves a chance. Yeah. I think this child can have a great life and, and deserves a chance too. And that, I think that was the first time where you kind of lit back up. You like he, he that visit 
was worth its weight in gold because it turned you back into okay i'm optimistic again like just his bedside manner alone you're big on the emotional uh, connection truly yeah i felt that way with the fertility clinics i felt that way about uh you know that's why i chose dr evans mm -hmm. i felt that way about this man and it's you know and it's still something that i allow to guide me yeah whatever scenario it is in life you i have to have a connection with you um in order for that for for me to feel comfortable moving forward right and so at that point we we were leaning towards fetal repair fetal surgery right it was like number one on our list now with the other being you know take our chances on a on a non-fetal repair and just do the Go repair full term. full term and then do the repair right away so once again, my brain said, well, let's see what these kids look like. Like, what does what a kid with spina bifida even look like? I've seen a kid in a wheelchair. I've seen an adult in a wheelchair. I have family members in wheelchairs. Like, I'm assuming that's part of this, but I want to know what, what the other things about their life that have value mean, you know, and, and how they live and how they grow up and all that. So we reached out to uh, Loma Linda, or I reached out to Loma Linda. I can't remember at this point, uh, which one of us did? I think prior to reaching out to Loma Linda, you, you were talking about that, is that you went straight to work on research. Yeah. And you went online and you just searched. I don't know whatever you searched, but you stumbled upon a couple of different blogs. You stumbled upon what images looked like mm -hmm. of kids, specifically with spina bifida. And you came across uh, Mary Evelyn's blog yeah. on what do you do, dear? Yeah. Right? I think that was a little bit later, though, because that was like, my recollection of it, and maybe I'm wrong, was that was like later on after we had had fetal surgery, I was reading her stuff. No. You don't think so? No, because you, no. You, you found her blog and um, her posts about her son, Simeon, mm -hmm. and... You didn't share it with me right away. No, I was just reading it. I don't think you were ready. So I was just reading it and like educating myself. And she's an amazing writer. And I mean, I would read her stuff and cry just because it was like, wow. Like she just said, she's basically predicted our son's future before it ever happened is the way I felt. And, and like you said, just so well written and from the heart mm -hmm. and no nonsense. Everything was exactly... You read it and you were like, gosh, she took the words right out of my mouth. I, I just, I, every blog post she's ever written, I'm sad to this day that she doesn't write on the blog anymore. Um, every single one resonated. It was like listening to a blues song when you're sad. Like you kind of want to hear someone that's more sad or that can emote sadness so that you can relate. Because like everything she said was so true and there were parts of it that were really really sad and she was struggling with her own emotions in her work in her writing um about you know having a having a kid with a diagnosis and then fo being followed up with having another kid with no diagnosis and the guilt that comes with the second child and what will that that child's life be like in comparison to the to the our first child with the with the spina bifida it wasn't all gloom though like she she told it like it was she told you know before she had her second child um who does not have a disability she she just told her truth she told their story in the most authentic way and some of it was hard yeah. and some of it was sad like you said but 
so much of it was so positive Mm -hmm. and that's when you shared that with me and i'm like this is the cutest little boy i've ever seen yeah and if that's what spina bifida looks like then what was i ever afraid of yeah and we would do like you know hashtag spina bifida on instagram and you know you see kids that are having a great time and yeah obviously they're not typical looking kids and they're in, some of them are in wheelchairs some of them are in walkers some of them use afos some of them walk um, some of them have a trach yeah. some of them yeah depending just, on your lesion level you could be running and jumping and doing all the things that you know everyone else does with maybe you just have a cath routine or you know you have a little bit of bowel issues or whatever but you're um you know to the surface you would appear typical so yeah we that, just wanted to see, like, for me personally, and I don't know how you felt about it, but the hashtag was was crucial for me in those early, um, the early days of diagnosis because I, I needed to see what, not so much what the kids look like. I needed to see what the families look like. I wanted to see the parents i wanted to see like were there other parents out there that look like you and i and Mm -hmm. as silly as that sounds i just needed to see like were these parents young yeah were what what was the age gap i don't know i don't know why that was so important to me i think it was it was just a relatability yeah you have to see yourself in those parents like Mm -hmm. uh, like or like what happened to them like part of it is like what happens to you as a parent when you have a child with a disability? Like, do you become haggard and, yes. and uh, you know, and all these other things? <laughs> and like, am I going to turn out like them? Or it like, sounds you know, so. so superficial, but those that's the truth. And that's those are all the things that were going through my mind. I was like, what does life look like yeah. with a child with spina bifida? Do can we still live the life that we lived prior to mm-hmm. the diagnosis? Can I still dress up and put makeup on and do my hair and feel pretty? Mm-hmm. I don't it sounds yeah. so superficial and I, I I cringe even saying it out loud, but it was the truth. Well, you cringe now because you know that you don't have to lose those things, but you didn't know at the time. We had no perspective on it, so that's what we were doing is we were filling in the blanks and. You can only fill so much in by Google and Instagram and 2D images of families with spina bifida, you know, di- you know, children with spina bifida in them. So the next thing that we did is we reached out to that social worker at Loma Linda and because uh, we know they have a spina bifida clinic there. So And uh, that's the one that's closest to where we live. Right. So we reached out and we said, hey, we just got this diagnosis. Um, can you put us in touch with a family of a local you know, child with spina bifida or, you know, teen or how, whatever, whatever the age is. And we'd like to meet with them if they're willing to meet with us. And I would really encourage anybody that is looking at any diagnosis to do this because this was a really critical moment in our decision-making process. We reached out and she got back to us pretty quickly. Um, just super glad that we were doing that because I think that's also important is like to have the bravery to look to take a look at this and see what it's going to be like. And we got super lucky because we found a family that not only had spina bifida, had a child with spina bifida, a son with spina bifida, was also a fetal repair, which is super rare. In the mom's trial, which we'll get to down the road. No, I think this is before the mom's study. This was like one of the, his fetal repair was years and years ago. Because he was... No, she was part of the trial. Okay, she was just... uh, she must have been like a data point in yes. the trial. Okay. Yeah, she, I think Nick, and we'll verify with them, but I think yeah. I read recently that Nick was number 29. Vanderbilt, right? Yeah, I believe so. Or was yeah. it Chop? Bandy. Yeah, I don't know. 
So we found. So it wasn't. Uh, sorry, it wasn't. Um, it was definitely a trial. Like this was not. People were not getting this done. This was not offered unless you were a part of the trial. Right. Yeah. And so um, we found a boy that had been through the fetal surgery. And same, same type of spina bifida that Maddox was going to have. Same type. And they lived, he had, and they lived like 10 miles away or something like close. In the same city. Yeah. So we were like, let's take them to lunch. And that's what we did. We took them to lunch and we met their whole family and we, they were like, ask any questions you want. Nothing's off limits. Like we'll tell you all the things that we have to deal with and we'll show you how great of a life our son lives and we'll talk about some of the downside of the things that he has to deal with. So. And I watched every, I paid attention to every single moment of that interaction. We sat down at the table first and then their family came in mm-hmm. and I watched Nick wheel in. How old was Nick at the time? He had to have only been like 12, yeah. 13 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Early teens. And I watched his every move. I watched the family. I watched, I paid attention to everything. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, yeah. And then we just got to talking and just, you know, like, like regular friends would going out to lunch. Yep. Very, he was very, my takeaway from this was he was very independent. Mm -hmm. He, this has always been my concern as Maddox's father is. Will he be articulate? Will he he be able to tell me what's on his mind? Will he he be able to have creative thoughts? Emotions. um, Emotions. Like, will will he have an intellectual life? Um, Will he be introspective? Because I'm really like this. Like, I analyze everything. Everything's hypothetical. Everything's metaphors for me. So, like, um, I just wanted him to be able to be a a high-level thinker, basically. And Nick was just so smart and so into his hobbies, and he just w- had joy in his life. And he was super independent. He wheeled himself super in. You know, he he was strong. Um, and his parents, it was very clear that his parents were not going to have it any other way. Right. Christy and Todd were like, tell him. Tell him all about this. And yep. never, you know, never told his story for him allowed him to, uh, you know, any questions that we asked, allowed him to answer. And then if it pertained to the actual fetal surgery, then, you know, they would chime in and Mm -hmm. tell us about their experiences. But they were very adamant that, you know, oh, no, like Nick Nick is independent and he will live an independent life. And that is exactly what the entire family exuded on that initial meeting. And we're still friends with them to this day. Yeah. And it's we fun. do walks with them. We do the, the hydrocephalus association walks. We haven't done a spina bifida walk with them yet. Walk and roll, I should say. But yeah, they and they came and visited us in the hospital. And Yep. So thank you, Jenkins family, for yes. enlightening us on this, in this critical moment in our, in our journey. <laughs> yes. You were the very first uh, stop on this journey for us. And we're, we're forever grateful for you. So, so meanwhile, we're watching videos still and contemplating fetal surgery and in, like I said, in UCSF sales pitch, University of San Francisco or University of California, San Francisco at their hospital in the Bay Area. Um, you know, I don't know how it, how it is now, but their videos are showing kids with our son's lesion level, level two, level three, somewhere in there. Um, and they're having fetal surgery and they're 
being born and there there's no secondary surgery to the back it's the fetal repair was sufficient their brains are less affected by the spina bifida than kids that are carried to term um, there's there's a there's now statistical data of less herniation in the brain stem potentially better outcomes with ambulation kids are walking at a higher percentage if they have a fetal repair versus if they don't lower cases in hydrocephalus lower cases of hydrocephalus which is fluid on the brain due to the herniation or any one of the factors with the spinal cord in the brain Gallery malformation one tube yeah so like there's all this data and you know it's not like overwhelming it's not like this surgery will for sure fix the problem it's like 20% of the time, in kids with these lesion levels, um, there's there's increased ambulation. Not even like full, like they're not running and sprinting and jumping. Um, they're just better than their control of the experiment, if that makes any sense. Um, 100, 100 families didn't do fetal surgery and they carried a term and they were tested against 100 families that did do fetal surgery and then they were compared and the data showed that like 23 percent i'm just you know you can go online and look this stuff up but 23 percent had better ambulation meaning they could walk or move better than the control group basically well a perfect example of that is a gal that i met via social media it was on instagram and i think it, it was a hashtag fetal surgery or something mm-hmm. and um she had her daughter uh I think her emetics are maybe a month apart. She's a little older. Yeah, so yeah. she just months apart, if if that. And um, her daughter uh, walks. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she has AFOs. Right. She has. I think she has a walker. But um, all the things that you just mentioned, um, as far as I I know, she does not have hydrocephalus. So she, her daughter was the best case scenario. Right. She's the one on the brochure that says, (laughs) if you do fetal repair, you have better results. Now, we don't know if that same kid with no fetal repair would have had the same outcome. But, you know, all you can do is do an experiment and have a control group and see what happens. So. Right. Um, yeah, there's, there are some poster children for fetal surgery and she would definitely be a a good example of that. Yep. Granted, she carried, I think, to term, whereas Maddox was born. Well, you can't carry to term. Well, to to 37 weeks. Yeah, as long as possible. Uh, To term for fetal surgery. Right. It's a full, it's a full, fully cooked, uh, baby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So after we met the Jenkins, we were pretty much all in on fetal surgery, right? Like there was no other question no, well, we what, at least knew that we were going to San Francisco to yeah, do the, the consultation. consultation. Yeah. So, so the consultation itself is a process. You have to get, well, I mean, you don't have to, but we would like to get insurance to approve of the consultation. Jeez, um, what is the cost if you don't have insurance on that? I don't. We didn't get to that point, thank God, but we almost did. We had to, we had to, you know, go down to the insurance um, office and drag it out of them on like a Friday, or else well, we weren't going to be able to knows, do it. Well, if anybody knows, anybody knows how what that process is on waiting on an authorization. I mean, that's like the story of our life now. Yeah, and this isn't a common everyday authorization. Like this what was, it, we were on the clock. Time was ticking, and we, yeah, we went down to Epic Management. Yeah, <laughs> knocked out. on the door. <laughs> and, and was like listen like we we have been waiting for over a week for this like yeah. this is really i remember saying like this is whether or not we move forward with the pregnancy well and the yeah so the i think the another thing that sticks out to me is so basically now you have this you, you know you're on the clock if you get fetal surgery it has to be between 22 and or 20 and 24 weeks mm-hmm. 
if you let, let's say you go up and you do the consultation and they find that the the child has like a heart defect or something that because bumps. there's a ton more testing during the consultation. Yeah, no, it's actually hard to get in. Like there, there's there, they scrutinize the patient and the and the child. Yeah, and both it, of us had to do an MRI, like an hour's worth of MRIs to to find. Yeah, so if either mom or child doesn't fit the the their ideal scenario for fetal surgery, like if mom's super unhealthy or obese or whatever, or like I said, if the child has a heart defect. Um, any other diagnosis would, would qualify or w- would basically um, bump you from the surgery. Uh, so, so they had to, with the insurance approval for the consultation, they also had to approve of, uh, an abortion. The insurance mm-hmm. had to prove an abortion. Oh, they asked us if, if we want to submit for that, right? And we were like, well, we're n- like, once again, this is like a haunting moment, but we're like, we're not leaning that way by any means but what if we go up there and they say he has heart issues or he's has a you know something that bumps him from the surgery and it like enlightens us to some other bunch of issues that he might have so we elected to not only approve and i think we also scheduled an abortion like just as a backup plan for we we did it you know if this doesn't go well in san francisco at least we have that because if you miss the window then you have like a second or third trimester baby that you literally can't have an abortion that's yes that's not compatible with life right well no i'm saying like at some point you miss the abortion window Mm -hmm. it's too late and then it's like you have to move forward well then yeah so then at that point it was um it was a greater risk to the mom to me um and the baby moving forward after that point yeah so we had to do that and we had to like deal with the fact that we just scheduled an abortion like that could be an outcome here still even though we didn't want it and we certainly it was like last on our list at this point uh, we, we had to do that. And so, yeah, so we basically are waiting around, waiting around for this insurance approval to come through. We have flights scheduled or I think we're driving, uh, we have hotel rooms, you know, we, we've laid a good amount of infrastructure and money down around this trip. It's a multi-day trip. Um, they really have you for three days to basically lay out all the scenarios that could happen, all the risks, testing, all the testing, you meet every single doctor, you meet the maternal fetal medicine doctor, you meet the doctor who performs the surgery, the neuros- the, the, the um, pediatric neurosurgeon, you meet the whole cast of characters, people that are going to be taking care of you in the um, post-surgery, NICU. in the NICU. We they did actually, a NICU tour. They actually tour you and you see kids that are on ventilators and they prepare you for all of that. It's you a, see the babies that were born at four, I think there was a 14-week-old mm-hmm. baby in there. Yeah. And it was real, like, shit got real. Mm -hmm. It was really sad, but at the same time, I'm really thankful that they did that because that ended up being us later, and at least we had the perspective of, like, hey, this is what this looks like, and this is what to prepare for. So Mm -hmm. they did everything they did. Talk about professional and and emotionally um, connected. Mm -hmm. This group was just stellar. Like, from the second we stepped foot in that place till the second we left... We felt like there was, you know, they had everything under control. They had systems. They understood the process. They understood the family's emotional, you know, journey that they're on. And they, you know, they followed up. I mean, they, they came through every step of the way. So, I mean, can we just give a quick shout out to Rachel, the yeah, RN? Yeah. The, what was her title? The, uh, I don't remember back then. 
I'm going to call her the spina bifida coordinator. But I think there was a coordinator in there. It but. was. She She was the one that reached out right away after you sent the email yep. or phone call. I don't remember. I think it was an email. And uh, she was with us every step of the way. And she, I mean, those who have had fetal surgery at UCSF know who Rachel is. Yep. Like, you don't even have. Rachel Perry we miss you. You were so amazing. Yeah, she she you're definitely ran that place. You're definitely a big part of Maddox's story and our story. Absolutely. So we go up there for this consultation, and you basically it's a it's a two and a half day thing. But if they um, the first part is just testing, right, making sure that you're healthy enough to do the surgery, making sure that Maddox is healthy enough. Like I said, they check his heart, they check other factors, they do more blood work, they do an MRI on both you and the baby that's like a soup, what was it, like four hours? Like yeah. it was ridiculous, yeah, this I MRI. Yeah, I sleep in there. Yeah, and, uh, and all of this is in downtown San Francisco where it's not easy to get anywhere and you're taking BART and, and you know, trains and all this stuff to get around. Uh, During but, Pride Week, nonetheless. Oh, yeah, it was Pride the Week. The timing, the timing of We it didn't all. know it was Pride Week. and So we get on the BART because we're staying across the water in the East Bay and all these people just crowd on and they're just hammered. I mean, Wasted. like the dude in front of us was like literally about to throw up. Like he had a cup in front of his mouth. His he, friend had, was holding the yeah, cup. Yeah, he couldn't even hold it. His and, his guy had to hold it for him. <laughs> and I'm about to throw up because I'm, I'm how many months pregnant and I'm just And like, we're going oh, through all this man. and it's the first day we're there. We've just gone through the day one of all this testing and just heavy, you know, heavy emotional lifting. And we get on the bar to go home, and this just scene breaks out where everyone's just yelling and cussing and, you know, almost barfing, and you could just smell alcohol in everyone's system. And we had no idea what was happening. We no, didn't even I'm know like, it what, was Pride Is this, week. like, normal, everyday San Francisco? What's going on here? And then we get to the clinic, the clinic, and they were like, oh, yeah, it's Pride Week. Yeah. You came on, you came on the worst week to uh, ride public transportation. Sure was. <laughs> But it was fun. Everyone looked like they were having a good time. Just uh, We just didn't fit in in that crowd. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So, yeah, so it's a two-and-a-half-day process, but you basically could get kicked out of the process on day one-and-a-half because at that point they're going to come back to you and say you're either eligible or you're not. If you're not eligible, the trip's over. You just pack up your stuff and leave. Uh, if you are eligible, then you continue on and you meet with the team and you do the whole, like, everything we described. So they told us we are eligible. We were happy that we were eligible. Um, and, and like I said, we took those meetings with every single doctor. They stuck around and asked all the great questions. Uh, we stuck around and asked them all the questions we had. They answered them. They had all the time in the world for us. Uh, I mean, what was your takeaway from, from that trip? Uh, it was a lot of information to jam pack in two and a half days and already being still slightly depressed about it all i just for me it was a lot yeah you're like i can't believe this is happening I, I could not believe it was happening still and while i wanted to be happy that we qualified for this surgery i was i at no point was i ever scared of the surgery itself i was just uh i was just trying to get past the hump of acceptance really like it took me a long time to accept that this was our reality yeah and then going and having you know these you know hour long sometimes two hour long conversations with the medical team it was a lot for me to to take in 
Well, the, the scariest part, and somebody put it beautifully, although brutally, is like this is a base, you're basically signing up to do a C-section while you're still pregnant on a completely healthy mother that otherwise wouldn't need surgery at all. So you're going under, you're getting your abdomen ripped open, you know, they're, they're basically cutting into your um, uterus. your uterus and performing a aggressive C-section, like a larger than average cut because they need to take the entire baby out or at least the back of the baby out and do a fetal repair then on that child and then put everything back, put all the fluid back in and then shut everything and hope like hell it holds. Like that's basically what fetal surgery is in a nutshell. tiny... For us, it was 22-week. 22-week fetus, yeah. Yes. So not even, barely halfway um, to full-size fetus. So trying to wrap my head around this, like, totally, like, non-medical professional, I just couldn't fathom, you know, what that even would would look like. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, trying to accept the the diagnosis and then trying to understand how how is one human going to operate on something that's half the size of my palm yeah and they there's like videos online that you could watch i don't think we did because it's just like not at the time we did no i think we did after Mm -hmm. um but yeah so we qualified for the surgery and we pretty much told them right then and there we want to do it we want to schedule it we want to move forward um which I think they're what was so right then and there we were at like 20 almost 20 it was 20 weeks and three days when we opted in or when we did the surgery when we opted in okay so it was like a week and a half later we would have to come back for the surgery we did we came back home we celebrated your birthday Mm -hmm. or was it my birthday no it was your we celebrated your birthday and then we went back to San Francisco on July 7th in preparation for surgery on July 8th of 2014. And that was another that was another struggle with insurance to get that over the finish line. I don't, I don't think so. No? They, no. they they figured out that we were uh, pains in the ass. Yep. I think at one point I called somebody and said, you know, if, I, if you just do this for us, I'll stop calling you. Like, that's the easiest way to get <laughs> yes, rid of me. Yes. If you don't want me to call you, then just put this thing through. <laughs> and, and we were able to get that one put through. So, um... What else did we miss? This is it felt it felt like it went so fast. There's got to be it, more diagnosis stuff there. <laughs> it well, it truly went that fast. Yeah. The the moment we got the diagnosis, from the moment my OB's office called to say you have elevated protein levels, we need to search further into this. Mm-hmm. Everything happened at a rapid pace. Yeah. So between 12 weeks and 22 weeks, uh, we got all this. <laughs> done, <Dialing>. I guess. <laughs> we had all this wave of uh, of tragedy and emotion and triumph, I guess. Not a whole lot of triumph in that time. It was all just tough, you know, tough sledding for the most part. Yeah, we just went with it and just went in with the mentality that what will be will be. As hard as that is to accept in the unknown, it was the only way that we could get through everything. What advice would you give somebody that walked up to you and said, hey, I know you've been through this. My child just got diagnosed with spina bifida. What would you tell them? I would tell them that it is okay to feel the emotions that you're feeling right now. I would share my story that, you know, I definitely went through a grieving process, um, but you have options. Mm -hmm. 
and that does not necessarily include ending this child's life. Yeah. If that's for you, then then that's your decision, and I'm not saying it's wrong, again, but the medical field has come a long way even from seven years ago when we did this surgery. And, yep. you know, and if surgery is not for you, then that's okay too. Those kids have great outcomes too. Yeah. Absolutely. You can carry this baby to term yep. or close to it. And, you know, and then they can do the closure afterwards. Like I would, I would give this person hope and it's happened. Pete, there have been many mothers who have reached out to me on social media and have asked like, what do I do? I, I've just been, I've just received this diagnosis and I am, am torn. And all I could do is just give them the advice that I just shared. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ultimately it's no one can tell you what the right path is. Right. I always think about this when you were at your darkest time, you asked me like, why aren't you considering abortion so highly as, as maybe you should be? And my response to you was, I don't want to regret the the darkness that will become of our marriage and our family. We might never overcome that if we choose to abort this. I don't even want to say, I hate the word abort. Like if we choose to um, not move forward with this pregnancy, we'll always be looking back wondering, what did we just do? What are the consequences of that? What if we would have stuck in it? What it, Was it a selfish decision to make? we worked so hard to get to this point. Like, I just think that would be poison for our entire relationship, for our whole marriage. Like, I don't think we'll last is basically my, was my answer to you. You did. And I really meant it. Like that was really, I was sad just thinking about it. Like what if, if we stop this, I don't think we're going to make it. I don't think we're going to, we're going to heal from this. I really you don't. Did. And I, I remember that conversation. I was in a, a place of darkness, but I remember that conversation and I cried and I cried and I cried. And that night, I prayed harder than I've ever prayed to God. And I was like, if this is meant to be and this child is supposed to be here, then I need you to show me a sign. Mm-hmm. I need you to show me that one way or another it's gonna be okay and everything is gonna work out and it has yeah (laughs) i promise we'll do some uh some really uplifting stuff in this in this uh in this podcast and just in general um but that was that was a really heavy episode and um we appreciate everyone listening if you're (laughs) you're still if you're still with us um if you could relate to us like this is you know this is why we're doing this this is why we're telling our story this is why we're putting it out there yeah that's it that's the end of the episode we're gonna go uh recover (laughs) thanks for listening thanks for listening we'll uh see you next time bye